This is The Global Gambit. Life inherently consists of gambits. Be it individuals or countries, the ability to outmaneuver, navigate, strategize, or fate to get ahead is crucial and inevitable against the complexities, unpredictabilities, risks, and competition associated with life around the world. In the Global Gambit podcast, we focus on the big picture of geopolitics, foreign policy, and current affairs, seeking to make sense of the news, go beyond what's presented to us, and question and critically analyze these matters. Each episode, your host, Pyotr Kurzin, who being English and Russian is a product of geopolitical events himself, brings you interviews and panels with top-tier academics, journalists, and policymakers. Within each discussion, there is a live interactive audience who engages in a question-and-answer session with the guest in the podcast's second half. This episode is brought to you via the Ukraine sitrep room on Clubhouse, which has been continuously running since the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine, surpassing 1 million unique listeners on April 20th of 2022. Want to learn how to participate? Stay tuned to the end of the podcast. And do not forget to engage with us on social media. And if you appreciate the content, to support us at patreon.com forward slash the global gambit. Thank you very much for listening and on to the show. This is The Global Gambit. Uh, greetings, Internet, uh, and welcome back to The uh, Global Gambit. Uh, last week, we had the North American Leaders Summit, which is uh, known as NALS. But what is NALS, and, and how does it work? What is the objectives of it, uh, and what was discussed this time around? How much did the recent developments in Mexico over the El Chapo capture and uh, the Ukraine war play into some of the mindsets of those who are attending. And what about the uh, desire for greater economic integration between the three states uh, and this uh, potential of friendship shoring, as some people are beginning to use increasingly? Joining me today to discuss some of these uh, issues uh, in greater detail is Ambassador Gomez. Ambassador Gomez is a senior fellow at the SAIS Foreign Policy Institute um, and uh, uh, someone we've actually had on the podcast before, so I'm very excited to have him back. Um, so thank you very much for coming back on with us, Ambassador. Uh, how are you getting Pleasure on to today? Um, thank you. So, Happy to be here. <laughs> this is a very exciting... Um, I guess the first question I have for you, Ambassador, is... Um, could you take us through a little bit what the North American Summit is about? What is it aiming to achieve? Uh, and how significant was this year's sort of relative to uh, the previous? Uh, thank you, Piotr. Um, you can see it from different angles. The first and yeah, the most evident, the most visible, is that the three leaders, the three governments, the three countries want to keep pursuing uh, this already uh, long happening or, or, or long process uh, of integration amongst the three. So the NALS is a space where the three of them sit together and discuss the North American issues and try to devise and think of um, policies that are necessary for this integration to keep uh, moving forward. 
the fact first that it happened, the fact that they sit together as they did last year, and now they do that in Mexico City, is in itself of an extremely importance. The fact that they talk, the fact that they get closer to each other, the fact that they start sharing increasingly a common vision on what to, to, to do as North Americans, how to integrate more, how to work together, and how to solve collective problems. At the same time, the other angle to see this is also that this is just a very important, but just, and, and I insist in this just, the natural result, the natural consequence of 30 years of the three where they were, were, or during which the three countries, natural forces in the three countries, society, businesses, uh, people, tourism, just are moving between the three. Um, there is sort of breaches between the three countries being built over the years by different actors. Again, people, businesses, investors, infrastructure, and all that. So, in fact, there is already a huge amount of actual real integration. And this huge amount of actual real productive, visible uh, integration also becomes an enormous incentive for the three leaders to meet and to keep pursuing it. So on the one hand, they are doing it. It's a policy choice. It's a very important one. The three of them believe uh, uh, in this. But at the same time, they are also responding to a reality. The reality is that the three countries have been increasingly uh, moving together very seriously. And this is important if you think of the, of the four years of the previous U.S. administration, where mm-hmm. the logic was exactly the opposite. The logic was no NAFTA. The logic was America first. The logic was to cut ties or commercial ties, trade ties with Mexico and Canada. Um, and despite those complex years, integration and kept moving simply because reality is is very strong. So, again, number one, the fact that they meet, extremely important, is a powerful signal. And at the same time, number two, also, and this I have not mentioned, which is the last part of your question, they actually sit together to discuss a very real, a very comprehensive, and a very pragmatic uh, agenda. And I think it was very successful. So that's a good overview. And I think um, what's interesting, though, is, you know, you mentioned this, uh, the America First component, which I do think is uh, something I want to dive into a little bit later on. Um, But also, um, specifically, you know, we are in this phase where decoupling is happening, deglobalization sentiments, got the World Economic Forum happening uh, at the moment, and that's quite infamous with this whole idea of uh, globalism. Um, So you're saying it continues naturally, but there's a growing sentiment, I think, particularly in the US, about, you know, uh, state interests first, nations' interests first. So 
you know, do you not think that there's a, a certain consideration of that among certain members of the U.S. Uh, delegation? Uh, you know, the Republicans are quite, you know, anti-globalism at the moment. So for this to be continuing at its rate between the three states seems uh, a bit of a bit of a sort of confliction to that, no? Uh, you mean the fact that they think North America could be contradictory to their more domestic approach? and Yeah, this idea that, you know, we want a, a, a bit of a protectionist uh, yeah. sentiment yeah, against the Americans, yet yeah, you're sure. saying that this deepening sure. integration. So how does that, sure. how do those sure. dynamics work? I think that um, protectionist sentiments or not, there is a growing realization in every quarter in the U.S., no different corners uh, in the U.S., including in this city, that nearshoring, let's say, protectionism, if you if you like, in fact, happens within North America, not only within the U.S. I think increasingly they are understanding that in for for for, for this purposes. Home means North America and not only the U.S. Now, you can say that what I am trying to convey some uh, romantic, wishful thinking view. <laughs> no, I think this is, this is happening amongst other things for one very powerful reason. U.S., number one, U.S., Mexico, Canada are not trading with each other. Mexico, U.S., Canada are producing together, which is not the same thing as just importing and exporting. Over the years, the amount of value chains, supply chains that we have created in North America has meant or means now that increasingly we are talking about in real terms not of a Canadian product, not of an American product, not of a Mexican product, but of North American products. Some industries are completely like that, like the car industries. Others uh, is different, less, they are starting. But this is either a consolidated reality in some sectors or a growing reality in other sectors. And you cannot, not only you cannot undo that, but it would be the most self-harming thing to do. One of the successes of the North American economy or as a region is the fact that the private sector has been able to allocate resources in the most efficient way. So you cannot, not only, again, you can not only not undo that, but also it makes economic sense to keep it and to strengthen it. The decoupling, the real concern clearly uh, it has to do with Asia, particularly with China. The three countries, I think, have different angles of view on how to appreciate the China challenge. But where the three of them agree, where there is a real strong view, is that North America, real strong joint view, is that North America has to become self-reliant that North America has to become much more competitive and that North America has to 
promote, to make efforts to bring businesses back to North America. Where would they go? Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. It will be a decision of the private sector, of investors, based on where it's more efficient to do so. So, tons of things will go to Mexico, as it is happening now. Others will come to the U.S., and others will choose Canada. But again, with a, in a, cohe with a coherent view of North America as a single region, as a single productive or, or production uh, space that, again, will become and can become very robust, as it is, in fact. So you, um, I mean, you've, you've been an ambassador for, I mean, to be honest with you, I lose count of how many places you've been. It's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> Thank but you. Being the two that I want to pinpoint is ambassador to Canada uh, and the United Nations. And... Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, being from Mexico yourself, I'm, I'm actually recording this from in Mexico at the moment. Um, oh. <laughs> how much do you think that uh, Mexico's dynamic with Canada uh, is important uh, relative to that of um, America? America's obviously the dominant. But what about Canada and Mexico's dynamics vis-a-vis? -vis, uh, it's essential. It's essential for one reason. It's essential not only, okay, you can argue that Critical mass-wise, mm -hmm. the Mexico-Canada component is indeed much smaller than any combination with the U.S. in between. But the other side of the equation is that for the integration, really, if we accept, as we do, that the integration is strategic for the three countries and that two bilateral relations or two bilateral integrations in North America are not only enough but do not serve that purpose, meaning Mexico-U.S. integration, Canada-U.S. integration, two independent bilateral integrations with a gigantic uh, center, which is the U.S. If we agree that that's, that doesn't work or is not enough, depending your views, we need to strengthen the third leg of this integration, which is Mexico-Canada. The idea of of, um, of the integration, the first NAFTA, and over the years, the integration was always there, but in reality, as I was saying, and I, I say it differently, or rather more clearly, Instead of producing this trilateral integration, precisely because of the sheer size of the U.S., it did produce two bilateral integrations. Thanks to, or as a result of, and by the way, this is natural. It's not that Mexico or Canada uh, didn't like each other enough or didn't see enough merit to really strengthen their own connection uh, uh, between mm -hmm. countries. It's simply that the sheer size of the U.S. made difficult to do the other part. As, uh, right. it, it's like, it's like, it's like uh, being neighbors with a gigantic, gigantic mountain in between, so you cannot see <laughs> to the other side, right? is what it is. Now, during the last administration uh, in the U.S., where the dynamic 
change. The bilateral dynamics change. U.S. Canada, U.S. Mexico, things were more complex, rougher, things that you know very well. Uh, both countries understood as a matter of a strategic decision that we needed to strengthen that leg as well to really start pushing for a real or more real, more balanced trilab, a real tri triangle. Instead of something like this, a real triangle. Uh, and that in itself encouraged create incentives, political incentives for the two countries to do that. And that's what they have been doing. At the same time, both Canada and Mexico realized in a more pragmatic way, less political way, if you like, that both represent to each other a substantial, very significant business opportunity. Mm -hmm. So all the incentives got aligned, the political, the strategic, and then the economic between the two countries, but always with a view that um, integration in, uh, uh, as such, it, ma it makes more, much more sense. Now, there is another problem that for someone of your background is, is going to sound very attractive as a matter of reflection, <laughs> which is, 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 is uh, to what extent real North American integration, not only value chains, not only supply chains, not only interconnection between countries, the people, not only investment back and forth, but real integration. When, to what extent this is possible, when we have an enormous asymmetry between the U.S. and the other two. So, you have the superpower, the biggest country, the richest and the most powerful by far. And then is aspiring once or, or, or there is a process to integrate with two neighbors that are substantially and in real terms much, much smaller in different ways. Canada is richer than Mexico. Mexico is uh, less advanced than Canada and the US, but Mexican population is much bigger. Different strengths and, and weaknesses. But aside that, both are substantially smaller to the US. That plays the role of superpower as we know. So, me, I find here a very interesting question a huge question mark, not in the, not in the negative sense. I, it's not that I'm putting, I, I'm, I'm doubting that. On the contrary, I think it's possible. But my, 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 what I'm trying to say, uh, Piotr, is that the biggest obstacle that I have seen, that I tend to understand now, to, to see now that I'm out of this, and I'm probably thinking more, is that the asymmetry is a gigantic challenge. Imagine the asymmetry 
the 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 asym because the asymmetry is not only size is the asymmetry of power is the asymmetry of interests is the scope of vision or the field of view that the US has globally vis-a-vis -vis the one that Canada or Mexico can have or may have i think there is a fascinating area to be reflected on and to discuss uh, about but you see i think you you get my point so what i want to do i think that's uh, very um well, I mean, there's a, I think we could have a, an entire uh, more sort of deep dive thematical conversation about that uh, <laughs> in the future. But I, I think where I want to go now is just uh, more to what was actually covered in the event itself. Um, yep. And what some of the, because you mentioned nearshoring, uh, other academics analysts have sort of called it friendshoring, uh, this, this desire to lessen, you know, as a subsequent component of decoupling, to shift from that to... Uh, relocating certain industries, certain production chains and so on to countries that are more favorable or at least aligned with uh, North American slash specifically U.S. interests. Um, and Latin America as a whole has been touted as a, as a likely place for that, you know, certain countries more than others perhaps. But what do you feel about this, uh, this concept of friend uh, shoring and how you might see more countries maybe sort of working together uh, to, I don't know, re, uh, recalibrate their industries, you know, to sort of prevent, like semiconductors, for example, you know, the whole chips bill by the US is attempting to delay the development and advancement of this sort of type of technology in Chinese, say, military equipment. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the sort of what was covered by the uh, Nows in uh, in terms of uh, French French oring and economic integration. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the 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 let's say the biggest absolutely uh, the 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 biggest umbrella one of the biggest umbrellas or or axis of this uh, summit six of them is in fact competitiveness. How mm. how can you make uh, North America competitive, self reliant? And competitive enough to attract investment. You cannot, you cannot force investment. You cannot force companies to return or to move out of China or out of Vietnam or wherever they are, and move back to North America, Canada, the U.S. or Mexico. You can only do that by becoming much more competitive, by becoming much more attractive by making economic sense for companies to do that. Uh, now, before getting a little bit there, something that is very interesting, nevertheless, is that nearshoring is already happening. If you see the, particularly to Mexico, I have to say. Uh, so if you see the figures, the most recent figures of, of um, relocation of companies, companies, uh, foreign direct investment uh, arriving to Mexico is incredible. Uh, exports from Mexico to the U.S. have increased 25% uh, just in the first part of 2022. Or uh, foreign investment coming to Mexico, 30% uh, uh, in the first two quarters of 2022. Um, so this is happening simply also because well, geography is mattering more or is more important because Mexico has um, already a very strong industrial base, etc. So this is happening. Now, 
for the three countries to actually capitalize, or meaning, or rather, profit to the maximum mm -hmm. possible of these geopolitical and economic circumstances that are that make near or French shoring to happen or to be to be relevant, we still need to do many things. And this is precisely what the three leaders discussed. What is it what we need to do? I think we need to, again, the idea is to become more competitive. So how do we become more competitive? Well, we need cleaner energy available in the three countries, and very much so in the case of Mexico. I think we need a huge effort on regulatory regulatory harmonization is essential. So you keep creating and strengthening clarity, certainty uh, to, to, to businesses. And again, with the idea that if you are coming to Mexico, to Canada, or to the U.S., you are in fact coming to North America, and it has to be seen as a one single economic production region. So you need more um, harmonization. Uh, we need to improve borders. Border facilitation is essential. The, the crossing times uh, in the U.S.-Mexico border, for example, that, according to many numbers, is the busiest border in the world, which is perfectly credible. So there are in hours, there's saturation, there's not enough technology. We, 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 uh, because it's more complex, that border, as you know, and we may end up talking about that too uh, later, later today or later in the conversation. So we need to improve that. We need to bring more technology. We need a much more efficient border. We need to reduce crossing times for goods in the border both ways. We need to invest in our human capital. We need to make sure that since we are uh, one of the regions that really enjoy human capital, young people, we need to prepare them. We need to strengthen education. We need to make them more competitive as individuals. We need to invest more in infrastructure uh, in the three countries according to or depending on the needs of each of them. So it has to, what this requires, Piotr, is a very long-term, well-designed policy by the three countries. Well, this is what the three leaders are trying to do. In the last or the previous NALS uh, in uh, November, December 2021, they laid the foundations for the three countries to start thinking more strategically about that. The three administrations, the institutions, uh, as a mandate of them, work that I still saw it as ambassador in Canada, worked very diligently with a very clear sense of purpose, very pragmatically, in a very objective-oriented uh, way to prepare uh, these NALs, in fact, by bringing now to these NALs all the tools, the elements, the research, the policy decisions, etc., everything that is needed to do what I am sharing uh, uh, in this conversation. Uh, so the result of the NALS, based on, on all this and the logic, are 
further measures, more clarity, but, but above all, I think the most important is that the political decision to do it just got stronger and, and clearer. And I see now the three administrations sitting together and doing it. There is one additional novelty in this sense uh, in the last NALS in Mexico, which is the private sector. Uh, it's the first time where there was a serious, very, very interesting trilateral private sector session in the margin. Well, that's a bad word, not in the margins, parallel or uh, in the side of the NALS. Um, very important CEOs of the three countries met in Mexico City the day before NALS. They developed their own views, vision, what they wanted to say to the three countries, the three leaders. What they said to them is very much in the lines of what I am uh, mentioning uh, now. They met with foreign ministers, they met with trade ministers, they, they really exchanged views, discussed, prepared documents. So now what we see, and this is I'm personally very excited uh, about, is that we saw on the one hand the three leaders giving clear mandates and vision for the three countries as integration, further integration. We are seeing the three administrations working together in tandem, consistently, well-coordinated, in putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And we are seeing now the private sector also sitting together in a total harmony with the three governments to join forces uh, with them precisely to pursue uh, this integration. Um, and that I find it extraordinarily positive and it makes me be very optimistic that this will happen. And again, as I said before, the numbers are showing that just because of the sheer force of what's happening, investment is already coming to Mexico, uh, Canada and the U.S., nearshoring or friendshoring, whatever the term, is already occurring, is taking place, just simply because it's, it's already better, it already makes sense. Imagine if we can truly put together all these competitiveness-oriented policies trilaterally as a single economic region, we, 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 we will go very, very far. I guess my next question for you is, how do you feel about the events just a few days before uh, the meeting over El Chapo's son? And uh, do you think that that played into the, um, uh, I don't know, calculus of, the, uh, of Mexico's leader or, or, or the Americans as well? Um, what about the broader, just general sentiment about migration? Uh, it's one of the biggest things I think a lot of uh, Americans, uh, on a you know, in, in in different parts of the political spectrum, have a concern over. So, if you could just take us through some of that sort of those dynamics uh, around sort of irregular migration and and traffic yeah. and how that plays into it. Well, listen, one one naturally, evidently, one of the two of the biggest challenges we have as a region, but indeed, particularly between Mexico and the U.S., have to do with uh, both security, organized crime, drug trafficking, particularly fentanyl. 
weapons, money, illegal money, etc. And violence uh, overall. And the other, of course, migration. Both different challenges, but very structural and very complex. The, the arrest of the son of, um, of this drug trafficker is very evidently very relevant. It's very, very important. Not because of its timing. It's not a question of timing, but rather simply because it happened. It's a very important drug lord uh, in Mexico. According to uh, reports, is involved precisely in um, in the business of fentanyl, which is extremely uh, uh, um, serious, grave, bad. So it's very important that it happened. Some have said or argued that the timing is, uh, let's say, suspicious coincidence. I, I don't know about that, of course. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit hesitant to, to take that argument or that possibility simply because these, these operations, like uh, oh, to, to, to detain or arrest a person like this one, take a lot of time of intelligence, planning, circumstances, and opportunity. So to title that, to, to get it, to get him three days before uh, the president of the U.S. is in Mexico, sounds to me a little bit non-realistic. But again, in itself, it's a very, very important and for sure very welcome arrest. Uh, both governments are very serious about Cooper, and on this Canada too, because in a different way is increasingly involved in this complexity, are very committed to address this, to reduce the flow of drugs, to restore um, uh, tranquility uh, in, in, in some parts of Mexico that are totally trapped in this uh, violent spiral coming from uh, organized uh, crime, um, and above all, in creating longer-term conditions for this to really stop. This is not only about stopping drugs flowing from the south to the north, but also from stopping or, or is about stopping weapons and money flowing from the north to the south. The amount of um, weapons that are illegally sold in the U.S. or legally, legally and illegally, legally and illegally, yes, sold to uh, people for use in or that end up in the hands of organized crime in Mexico is in the tens of thousands every year. And to combat that is extremely challenging for Mexico. And money is the same. The illegal revenues or the revenues from this illegal trade that go to the pockets of organized crime, not only in Mexico, but south of Mexico uh, as well in the rest of the continent, is just simply staggering. And that brings power. Money and weapons bring enormous power. So it's very serious. Is a true, real priority between the two countries, the three countries, and they are working, and I think there's progress. 
On the question of migration, that's a different phenomenon that, he, that, that it is equally uh, almost overwhelming to handle. The last, um, the last two, three years, the number of migrants entering Mexico to try to get to the U.S. is in the tens of thousands a month. Uh, sometimes hundreds of thousands a month. Um, these you need to add also, of course, because of the economic situation, more Mexicans trying to get into the U.S. to the point that the, 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 the people, migrants um, that have reached the Mexico-U.S. border just in 10 months or 11 months or let's say last year, both the vast majority non-Mexicans and a, and a portion of them being Mexicans are around a million people. This is just a staggering figure that creates enormous challenges both for the U.S. and for Mexico as well. The issue is not only the border itself, is what are the challenges that pose to the countries themselves in a, large, in a larger perspective. So both governments have reached very important agreements to try to create, to let's say, to change incentives in a humanitarian, commonsensical way, a legal way, of course, for migrants just to try to come uh, without papers to try to, to enter uh, the U.S. And these NALs also made and showed or produced very interesting agreements that if we have time, we can go deeper into them. Well, I think something I do want to um, just explore a little bit more is the um, is the what do you think a reaction from the you know who who will have been paying uh, most attention to this summit uh, from shall we say the less favourable uh, states you know do you think China was was paying attention to this um, Venezuela maybe given the Latin America element um russia even uh because of you know the war in ukraine how much has that played into the um the psyches of of some of the uh delegates during the during the summit just curious for you you know who do you think was paying most attention to it from the less favorable side and, and do we think we'll see any sort of responses is it or is it just more of a general annual meeting and, and nothing too much of it, it, it no, is, no, no it is i i wouldn't i would put it differently i don't think Different people may be paying attention to different things depending their own specific functions. But the the real or or or, or the, the 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 bigger picture that was playing and have to play very importantly in a meeting like this is simply the geopolitics and the economic or the economy. Uh, is very is evident. The the geopolitics are in my view are creating stronger incentives for the three countries to get even closer to each other um, is making integration much much more a rational decision that is becoming very essential uh, to deal with these challenges so these the geopolitics of today or the consequences of the geopolitics of today or the byproduct of products of the, the geopolitics of today is precisely more regional competitiveness, self-energy security, health security, near-shoring, 
investing in our human capital in ours. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't choose any specific, but all of them together could create a panorama that truly incentivizes this further integration. And absolutely was uh, one of the, the, let's say, um, we would say in Spanish, hilo conductor, I don't know how to say that in English, one of the main lines guiding the conversation amongst the three of them in Mexico last week. Probably uh, last couple of questions I have for you, Ambassador, is... Um... One is about, uh, again, what do we think will come out of this meeting longer term? Uh, has there, was there a sort of uh, a roadmap given for certain objectives or goals to be achieved in the next sort of short to medium term? Or, or is it more just generally sort of making the way for more specific uh, things later in the year? No, there, there, are, there are already uh, a roadmap on, on six main areas, which are... Uh, the, 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 the different avenues through which this should be happening. One is energy, climate change, environment. Other is um, equity, inclusivity, bringing the whole society on board of this process. Other is the economy, competitiveness, supply chains, value chains, etc. And each of them have, or each of these avenues I'm describing have very specific goals and targets. Other has to do with health security, which is absolutely critical. And COVID uh, and the pandemic showed that we needed to strengthen that. And there was a lot of work to be to be done. And again, there are very specific targets and measures on how to how to do that. The other is, of course, migration, but migration not not only or not from the perspective of migration itself, uh, the border, reducing migration, making it legal or not, but rather from the human capital uh, angle and labor mobility angle. Again, competitiveness demands that we make the most of the incredibly rich human capital that this region has. And finally, uh, security. And security, not only the one from the angle that we just talked, uh, drug traffickers, fentanyl, violence, and all that, but also regional security, cyber, for example, which is extremely uh, serious of a, of a challenge, and international security. How can we make sure that North America is safe, is secure vis-a-vis uh, -vis all potential challenges that we all can face in the current situation that we, that the world is experiencing. So no, it's not only, it was not only about the meeting. It really uh, is, there's tons of very important, very practical, very focused, very uh, objectives-oriented work made or done by the three uh, governments. The institutions are totally connected, coordinating, working uh, uh, for this. The roadmap was created last year uh, in the previous NALS. This year, it was revised by them, improved new new guidelines, and, and governments, are, I'm sure, are already meeting again 
to keep pushing pushing it forward. So no, it's a very concrete uh, agenda and very concrete results in my view. Uh, last question I have for you is just um, again, sort of thinking about the the broader scheme uh, as we see, you know, uh, the Republicans have come in and they're trying to shake up the uh, the sort of political climate uh, in the US. We've got. Uh, some interesting dynamics happening in Canada and Mexico as well. Mm-hmm. How do you see the uh, the relationship of the three going forward as we, uh, you know, given also Ukraine and, 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 and energy prices, inflationary pressure, the potential for a global recession? Do you remain quite optimistic about the, the, the you know, the role of North America in, in all of that? Because it's, it's, it's not really a, a sub-region that we pay much attention to because it's, well, three countries that are massively uh, significant mm-hmm. in certain different ways. But, you know, Equally, though, it is it is somewhere that should be talked about occasionally because it's uh, how that area performs could could have disproportionate influence on the uh, on the rest of the um, uh, on of the global recession uh, economy. So, just curious how you see that playing out in in the context okay. of a sort of downturn. Uh, uh, many angles. First, there's something very strange uh, that you that you raised. No, not that you raised it. In in what you raised, there's some there's there's a lot of it reflects a truth, a complex truth. Uh, that I myself still have no real explanation to, which is, uh, despite that, everything that in real terms the three countries have done together and integrated, and and the 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 almost Siamese relation between the three countries, where we are, is like a body that is already sharing organs. Um, this is what North America is. Despite the its enormous economic weight, this pact is outsized impact or, or contribution to global trade and manufacturing, uh, which is 25% or so of the global trade, for example, is just North America. So, so despite all this, it is exactly as you said. The recent reflection, if you like, or the reflexes, probably that's a better way to to say it, in other parts of the world, to think of these three countries as a region, to think not of Mexico, or the U.S., or Canada, but to think of North America, and this is not because it is not relevant. I think it has to do more with the way. North Americans, the, the the way the three countries historically have portrayed, and this shows that still, and this will take me to part to other part of your question, still, in the animus of decision makers, politicians, Congress people, parliamentarians uh, in the three countries. This is just this. This is sort of an idea in the back of their minds, or it's just something taken for granted. But it's never used. You don't see easily a Canadian leader speaking of "Yes, I am North America," or an or a U.S. or leader saying "Yes, we are North America," or a Mexican saying "We are North America." There is there is an issue there. That we will need to explain and to and to and to work more. Someone said, Piotr, uh, two three decades ago, and I, I forgot who he was. That said, that referred to North America as the region that does 
to speak its name. And it's totally, totally true. Now, the politics in each country, Republicans, Democrats, Mexico going through exactly the same political dynamics, Canada, I think less so, but at the same time, at the end of the day, also. I think that the power, the, 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 the integration is so structural, Piotr, is so structural, is so rooted that in reality is above the ups and downs of the natural ups and downs of politics and democracy and political change. And I think the best example of that was the last administration, President Trump's administration. When President Trump started its administration, the first one of the very first targets was NAFTA and was North America and was Mexico and was Canada. Yet, three years later, we had a stronger NAFTA, renegotiated NAFTA. It entered into force and we got even closer than before even more connected in real terms than before. So I really believe that the sheer force of reality will keep imposing over the ups and downs of the natural dynamics of politics in the three countries. On that, I'm very, very, I'm very optimistic. These ups and downs may delay, may strengthen, may move some priorities, may change some focus here and there. They may move the enthusiasm. They may change the political uh, interest or dynamism. But the, the sheer force of this is just there and it's very big. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Ambassador. Well, with that, thank you so much, um, Ambassador. It's been a real pleasure having you back on for such a wide-ranging and uh, in-depth <laughs> conversation. As, very as happy I... to be here. That was the one thing I was uh, able to predict was that we would have a, a, a certainly a fruitful conversation, no matter what direction it took, and uh, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I sometimes feel that it's, it's better that nothing does happen because then there's no need for you to come back. Um, if, you know, we, we don't want there to be uh, something that you we need you to come back to talk about, unless it's positive, of course. Well, links to uh, the ambassador's profile to the uh, Foreign Policy Institute at Johns Hopkins Science, which this uh, space has been in collaboration with, uh, as well as links to my my personal Substack, uh, my per uh, the the podcast itself, and also uh, my YouTube. So, if you're interested in um, joining in uh, video format conversations, of which we will have some next week and more with Sice and the FBI, be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, but with that, everyone, thank you very much for your um, attendance. Take care. You were listening to The Global Gambit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, subscribe and leave us a review. We would especially appreciate it if you left a comment on why you valued this episode and what you took away from it. Doing so helps us to be discovered by new listeners who would really enjoy our content. Want to support us further? Do so by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the global gambit, where you can get additional perks and even be featured in upcoming episodes. We actively invite you to follow and engage with us on social media at the global gambit. Got any feedback or suggestions, such as potential guests? Get in touch at the global gambit at gmail.com. Lastly, don't be shy. Download the Clubhouse app 
Listen in in real time and even participate with questions or comments to the guests and host Piotr. But until next time, this is The Global Gambit.